Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson here on a Thursday. It has been a little bit of time since we've been able to get together and chat with each other about the uh, the very busy summer that Nebraska has already had, but we're going to do that here today. We're going to dive into the most recent commitments, but first, Brian, it is uh, it's been a while. What's uh, what's what's new with Brian Christopherson? Let the listeners know what's been going on for you the past few weeks. Give us all the details. Um, no, I won't do I won't do that to people. Uh, well, I, I went to my family's cabin and minnesota extended family i don't want to make it seem like like i'm made of money or something i'm not it's <laughs> it's not mine but i have access to a family cabin in minnesota that is shared by multiple f- families in the extended mm. party and uh went fishing and all that stuff but the thing was when i was up there i think when i left nebraska had nine commits not to bring it immediately back to oscar football but uh every time i looked at my phone which to my credit, was only every two to three hours. I did pretty well. Um, there was a new commit. And by the time I came back, I think there was like 20 commits in the class. So yeah. uh, it was nuts. Um, it was nuts. It was definitely nuts. But before we get there, what else happened? What 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 else occurred in Minnesota? Um, I, uh, I'm a, I am famous now. Uh, I was on uh, Carlos Correa hit a home run at the game we were at at Target Field. And the Bally Sports broadcast uh, for the Twins uh, caught me um, pointing up to the sky, um, sharing with everyone, I guess, where the bald went since they apparently didn't know, um, in the upper deck. So it it was like it was a secondary shot. They went to the people who caught the ball first. And then there was me uh, just pointing up to the sky, stating the obvious like I do on this podcast that that's where that's where it is. Yeah. Was it because Carlos Correa has kind of been scuffling a little bit that you just really, you really wanted to let the people know like, yeah, you put it up there. It actually happened people. And it it was kind of the start of uh, Correa's breakout. We don't have to get into that. It's going to be a a exciting turtle race between the twins and guardians to October to see who can can get to 82 wins and and win that baby. Um, Watching, Watching the Braves just, put it on Cleveland two out of three games and not even, you know, they blew him out in one of them, but it's like every single guy that comes up is just scary. 
And then I think about Cleveland's lineup and you get through the first four guys. You're like, all right, well, can take a bit of a break here and then we'll get back to the top of the lineup again. I mean, it's just a, hmm. the Braves are a different team. They are loaded. It is a different kind of baseball in Atlanta. Yeah, they are. They swept the twins as well. Uh, they didn't sweep you guys. So credit, credit there. But uh, it, on the broadcast, though, they didn't say anything. I didn't do enough that, like, Glenn Perkins, mm. who's the analyst, said, there's just a guy enjoying his day at the ballpark or something <laughs> like that, you know. So, uh, but so someone did send the clip to me. It was it was seen by someone that, that knows us, and they're like, hey, you're on TV. Did you have, like, a, a Circle Me Burt sign or anything like that? No. Wasn't that a thing for a while? Like, didn't uh, Burt Blylevin just circle people on Twins broadcast every game? He used to, yeah. He's no longer on the broadcast. He did yeah, have. I, I, know, I know that he's gone, but I, I feel no, like that'd be a good throwback to just bring to the stadium. No, um, I did have the new Twins hats on, which you guys think are disgusting with the M and the star. You call them the Marlins hats. I bought one because I'm loyal to the squad, and I figured I have every other Twins hats. I at least have to throw this in the collection. And I, I will whisper this that hat has grown on me a little bit. Like okay. I like how that hat fits in my head and I, I look at it in the mirror sometimes and I'm kind of talking myself into the logo. So I'll have to have some dialogue to try to convince you guys. It's not that bad of a hat. That's, that's just part of being a sports fan. Sometimes your team's rebrands a little bit and you just go along with it. Even though, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like your first choice. For instance, your team might change their name to the Indians to the guardians and it wouldn't have been in your top 37, but you know, you just, <laughs> You get used to it, and you say it, and you buy the gear, and you smile, and you're happy, and you root for them to win. And you know, that's just how sports are sometimes. Do you call you them know? the guards? Do you call, do them, the call guards? them the guards? The, okay. the guards makes it sound better to me for whatever yeah. reason. I don't know why. It's just, uh, you know, letting out a hearty go guards when uh, they do something well. That that works for me. Everything else, still still taking a little bit of time. But what can you do? All right, let's, uh, let's move on from our delightful baseball banter, and we will jump into – Recruiting. So among the additions, and you were back for this. I mean, you you were you were back. You were back for Carter Nelson. You were back for Kawan Lacey. You talked yeah. to Kawan Lacey. We could dive into that a little bit. You I were, guess I did, yeah. You were around for <laughs> there's been so many. I can't even like if you're like, hey Mike, who are the last five guys that committed? It'd be Jacory Barney, it would be Carlin Jones, it would be Carter Nelson, it would be Quinn Clark. Oh, yeah, Quinn Clark. And then I think I don't remember who went first between uh, Rex Guthrie and Kawan Lacey, but whoever the second guy was would have been the fifth. Those are the last six commitments, though, to, mm-hmm. to the best of my knowledge. I think you're right. That, that was impressive that you could even do that. Um, where do you want to start? Let's let's start with okay. So let's let's focus on we, we did a lot on Carter Nelson. We've talked about some of those other guys. I do want Let's actually start with Kawan Lacey. You talked to him, uh, you know, about his commitment after his visit. What What is Nebraska getting with, with running back Kawan Lacey from Lancaster? Yeah, you pronounced it uh, how it's supposed to be, I think. I've been working with Will every day on my pronunciations of yeah. things in Texas. Yeah, we got to get to know, like, everything about that state, it feels like. Um and just like know it like it like it's Nebraska, you know. Like the, I've already told you, our next twelve vacations are going down to Texas. <laughs> where you're gonna get familiar. Yeah, uh, Kawan Lacey um, is a guy who can go all over the field. I mean that, that that's the first thing he wanted to stress. I think in the interview is yes, 
he's going to be listed as a running back, but he met with Garrett McGuire on that trip a lot and really liked him. Um, Garrett McGuire, by the way, just on a <clears throat> huge role the last month. But Kawan Lacey's a guy, I said, well, what, you, what do you see as your strengths? What are the weaknesses you're working on? And he, basically his strengths said, he said, is I, I feel like I can do a little bit of everything, and that's what I'm planning on bringing to the table at the next level. He's also looking forward, which you love to hear from a back, to like Big Ten football and proving that he's that type of back mm -hmm. who can go into those overcast days in late October and early November and, and be a grinder. And uh, I think that was appealing to him. EJ Barthel did a nice job, of course, uh, from his end of it. And, um, you know, it, it. I think it's just it is comforting, of course, first off when Nebraska, whenever they get a quarterback in the class. But when you get that guy who's sort of the running back who you can kind of really point to, I think that also uh, relieves some angst from the fan base when that happened. So I think it was a big deal in that way. Did you did did he give any sense as to why Nebraska felt like the right fit for him? I mean, that's the thing that's so remarkable is that a lot of these Texas guys, and we'll get into Carlin Jones in a minute, but a lot of these Texas guys just sensed like a really strong connection with the staff, but also just feel like they fit with what Nebraska is trying to build. What did what did Kawan Lacey have to say about why Nebraska specifically was good for him? People can say this is cliche or it's uh part of the hype machine or whatever, but we're, we're just passing on what people say. And I think in a lot of interviews you do and the ones I do with recruits, family always pops up. It's just like, yeah, they just, they, they walk away and they, they feel like, um, like even the guys who are newer to the program, like the first year players, I think sell the recruits on like, yeah, they, they are what they say they are so far. Like in, in the guys who have been here, you know, six months, their experiences match up with what they were told as recruits. And they tell that to the guys who are considering what to do. And, and that means a lot. And so I think family was a big part of it. And also the other thing that always comes up is just, the, I mean, they can play off this for a while rules background in the NFL and that staff, just having that familiarity of what it takes and what people at that level are looking for. We can never, oversell that i think as far as to what that means to a 17 year old kid who ultimately wants to play on sundays and they're like well these guys they've they've been in the front row of that they know what it takes and um maybe i'll follow them and see what they can do for me all right moving on from kawan Lacey, and before we get to jacory barney and to uh carlin jones real quickly Tell me about Ken Clark as a player. What what do you remember uh, yeah. about him as a as a running back? Because that's just it's like probably about three years before I'd have any real grasp yeah. of Nebraska football. And I think Quinn Clark is one of those really sort of interesting guys Nebraska took in in June because he's six foot five. He's not married to playing wide receiver. He actually feels like there's a good chance he could grow into being a tight end. But this guy just wanted – he just wanted the chance to work out for the staff. And I think he's still a little bit on cloud nine that they went ahead and offered him. So what yeah. do you know about Ken Clark? Because I think this is a huge deal for Quinn Clark. But I'm curious what you remember about his dad. Yeah, you know you're buttering me up with that. I mean, that's that's just like my kind of talk as you get in a late 80s Husker football. <laughs> and um, the first game that 
of course will come to everybody's mind is against Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. They 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 beat them 63 to 42. Barry Sanders of course was at Okie State and was as advertised. Barry Sanders put on a show that day too. But Ken Clark, I believe it was Nebraska's first play from scrimmage. It's on YouTube. People can find it. I think it's a 65-70 yard run. He uses his hand to keep his balance on a play that probably should have been stopped for, you know, five to 10 yards. And he scoots all the way to the end zone and Pavelka's going nuts. And I, I just remember that play. And that was also the night, if people want to link it to famous sports moments, um, that Kirk Gibson hit the home run oh, wow. off Dennis Eckersley in game one of the World Series. Wow. Um, A's Dodgers. I can say that since Bruns isn't on the pod today. Um, but yeah, so that that happened. But the, another game I think of was they beat Oklahoma that year seven to three in just a rainstorm where the AstroTurf field was basically like an ice rink. And Nebraska scored on its first possession, didn't score again the rest of the game. But Ken Clark, I remember, was just like consistent, like sort of a battering ram in the rain, like he'd run the pitch play, get you three, four yards. And um, I just loved him as a kid. He was honestly, and I'm not saying this because we just brought him up. He was one of my probably three favorite Husker players when wow. I was growing up. Um, just because cool. he was like the eye back at the time, like I first started really paying attention and he got the ball all the time. And he, I was just like, Oh man, he matched Barry Sanders and all that stuff. So when Quinn Clark committed, um, it was one of those deals where I didn't feel old. I just felt like that's cool. You know, like that's, uh, and they, his mom posted the photo of, I think with Ken Clark had him over his shoulders at the stadium at one point. And obviously the late Ken Clark. Um, so that's a cool story. And he, he found out he got the offer on the field, on the very field, his dad played and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that you, you can't be uh, too cynical about that stuff. That's, that's what, that's, what's fun to report on. Among there's so much in there that I love about it, but one of the cool things is that they worked them out at multiple different positions just to make sure they left no stone unturned. Because I think they just, I think one, they really liked the kid, and two, just want to see what else, you know, if it's not wide receiver, what else he could potentially do for him. But he's going to start out at wide receiver. And then if he bulks up and he thinks that he might, uh, tight end could be in his future yeah. as well. So that's, that's, yeah, they, when, yep. They even work. Yeah. They worked him out of linebacker even just yeah. as it's like, what, what are you made of there? But one more quick fact about uh, 1988, that game against Oklahoma, the quarterback for OU of course was Charles Thompson, Casey ah. Thompson's dad, who he had his leg broken on the last play. So not the, the best memory for him, but the week before Nebraska beat Colorado seven to nothing in Memorial stadium. And then they beat Oklahoma seven to three. I think both were top 20 teams. So Nebraska beat two top 20 teams uh, by scoring a total of 14 points in two consecutive weeks. It's kind of a fun Husker fact. Just a wildly different era of football altogether when you hear those scores, by the way. You yeah. think of like top 25 matchups and how often they, you know, can't stay within the 20s, let alone the 30s anymore. Mm-hmm. And here it is, 7 nothing. So that's, that's definitely unique. All right, Carlin Jones, this one. I want to hear about this. <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, there has never been a better post-commitment interview that I've ever had in my life. I call him up. He answers like first ring. And I think he's kind of like, he knows, because we had talked on Tuesday of that week. We had talked in the morning. He called me at like 830 in the morning. And he's like, yeah, I've got, I'm, you know, I'm considering everybody that I visited. It's going to be a mid-July 
you know, it's going to be a mid-July thing. And I was like, so are you still hearing from Nebraska? He's like, oh, yeah, all the time. Terrence Knighton, we talk all the time. And I'm just thinking, like, this this seems pretty good for Nebraska, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know who the other main competition is. So when I talk to him on Thursday after he commits, he doesn't even really reference that, but he's, I'm just like, so mid-July, huh? And he's like, yeah, my dad was looking around on the internet and it just seemed like everybody knew we were going to Nebraska. And so why not just put it out? I, mm. I don't know. I just kind of love that. Like, and he was not by any means upset that this is the way that it went. He had fun with it. It's just, um, you know, really kind of fascinating because never really had a kid actually just come out and say that like, oh yeah, that, that prediction basically just made it seem like I wasn't going to go anywhere else. So I might as well just go ahead and commit. So you had that, you had like a great quote about, you know, what kind of Matt rule sort of meant to him. And then also just kind of like why Nebraska is the right fit for him. You have the quote about how the Texas boys are going to be coming up to Lincoln and the Texas schools, and I think he was referencing TCU and UTSA, both of which he visited, were apparently asking quite a bit about his interest in Nebraska and trying to suss out the, the you know, if they, if they were the main factor there. And so you have this quote about how the Texas schools are going to be worried because the Texas boys are leaving the state now. And then you you finish with the all-timer of, you know, when when legend becomes fact, you print the legend. And him basically saying that Matt Rule was able to get Lincoln to add flights to Texas, which it did. I think this was in the works before Matt Rule was ever announced as head football coach. But he's he's certainly a part of it. And it just it added to the just kind of this great three minute, 30 second interview that I need to figure out a way to transfer over that audio so I don't lose it. And the whole time. I mean, Carlin Jones is a great interview. He's going to become. I think a very popular player if he if he's productive because he'll get interviewed a lot. He's going to be a good quote, and he's just uh I don't know he was he got a kind of an infectious energy about him, and so the whole thing was just fun. And I was just like, okay, now I got to go write this up, and I knew exactly how it was going to be received, and it went almost exactly as I expected. That's it. Those are the greatest interviews you can ever have when it's like four to five minutes long. And honestly, some people, you know, can drone on for like in a half hour interview and you get nothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes you'll have that guy who it's just like, boom, 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 boom. 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 Here's like five quotes for you. Is that enough? And uh, (laughs) that those are the best. You don't have to transcribe a lot. You know, it's all gold. Um, Why waste uh, everybody's time talking for 12 more minutes after that? The way my brain works when I write, like when I'm interviewing these kids, Often I'm already sort of slotting in how I'm writing the story at the same time I'm interviewing him. And with him, it was basically just like, okay, well, that's going to be the lead one. And then that's going to follow. And then that, Mm. okay, all right. right, Well, okay, this, you know, there was so much in there. It's like, yeah, four quotes. It could have been the lead quote of any commitment story that you've ever written. And you're getting them all from the same guy in three minutes and 30 seconds. Like it was, it was, it was fantastic. And then on top of it, regardless of what he says, how he plays should have Nebraska fans fired up. I mean, this is a highly productive lineman. He gives me, I don't know how people will feel about this comparison, but he, in a lot of ways, reminds me of kind of the Davis twins in terms of um, maybe a little bit shorter squatty body types that are more athletic than they're going to look coming off the bus. And those guys were highly productive high school players. 
They're very good athletes. Um, and then they turned into to great college players. I mean, I, great might be a stretch for some, but they made it to the NFL. Uh, Khalil Davis had that eight-sack season. Carlos Davis was the one that I think everybody sort of felt was the more consistent, maybe better player of the two. Uh, and and they're just they were they were good linemen at a time in which Nebraska's defense was relatively poor. So they're they're never going to kind of get the credit that you want. But I feel like Carlin Jones kind of fits in that category. You know, when I, I turn on the tape and I just see this highly productive lineman with maybe a little bit different body style than, than you're expecting. Uh, but I, I think he could play in the middle of a 3-3-5 and really wreck things for offensive linemen and also has the willingness to eat space and be one of those guys who's not going to put up the stats too. Uh, he's a total team guy on top of everything. Yeah, he and a TFL monster. He had a yeah. ton of TFLs last year. Um, his Texas quote about how other schools view like Nebraska with with rule now and those guys recruiting that state the way they are is pretty interesting to me because I've wondered that myself. Um, but I also have thought about it from this angle. I wonder if some of those Texas schools, if, if it's not the worst thing for them, because like rules and his staff have been so good at evaluating that state and Evan Cooper oh. and those guys that sometimes maybe they lead, <laughs> they lead others in a direction of where to go. I'm not saying those guys can't do their own research down there. Um, but the, the, this staff is very accomplished in finding some guys who not everybody's talking about in that state. And so while my first instinct is, man, they must be really annoyed that like you basically have Nebraska acting as like it lives in Texas, like it's a Texas based school they're also getting the benefit of seeing some of those evals that Nebraska has. And it, so that goes both ways. I think it's, it's really interesting because the class of teams that you're going to see them for a lot of these Texas guys are that TCU Baylor, Texas tech. We might see a little Texas A&M. I can't think of a single Texas guy that they've gone after where the university of Texas is sort of another primary competition there. But then you think about it, Really, and, and even ignoring Texas A&M, because it hasn't been pretty for Jimbo Fisher, I mean, Baylor's been really good. TCU's been really good. Texas Tech, I think, under Joey McGuire, and this year oh, yeah. forthcoming, could be really good. And so when, when I say that they're recruiting against that sort of second tier of Texas schools, that maybe doesn't sound like the compliment that it should be. But, I mean, if, if Nebraska's pulling in comparable talent to what those schools are doing, there's a you know, that's a good spot to be in right now because those are healthy rosters. One of them just played for the national championship. Fans around here were, you know, would have been ecstatic if Dave Aranda was the head coach. And we're currently living in this world where Nebraska and Texas Tech are going to be sort of circling each other for recruits for the next year plus. So uh, the whole thing is, is really kind of interesting when you think about Texas recruiting. And then when you step back and you look at where Nebraska's getting some of these guys and who they're going against, I think it's a good measuring stick of, of the type of program and, and where they want to be too in, in short order. Circling Texas tech and Nebraska circling each other, but yet friendly about it. Like they're, <laughs> they're, they're buddies still. It's a uh, Corey Blanchard who's the runs the recruiting for Texas tech. That was an interesting interview he did on Twitter spaces because yeah, James Blanchard, I think you mean, Oh, I'm sorry. James yeah. Blanchard. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, that was, uh, a, that was fascinating. First of all, you did a really nice job on what, was a lot to probably sift through there. And uh, if, if people haven't read this, it's up on, at Husker 24-7. James Blanchard, who is the director of player personnel, is that right? Yeah. 
yep. at, at Texas Tech used to work for, for Matt Rule at Baylor. And it's a really strong insight as to what Nebraska is getting and really why all of these coaches seem to have such reverence for Matt Rule as well. And not just coaches, but the, the recruiting staff too. You know what? He's an example also. You know, when Rule put this staff together in Nebraska, at first some people are a little taken aback because, you know, some guys are younger. They don't have like as as full of a coaching resume. But then you see um, a guy like Blanchard down at Texas Tech is an example of someone that Rule's just like, this guy is useful. Like he was one of the, he was basically just like a guy who loved recruiting and was a yeah. you know, big fan of it. And he was posting guys that people were missing and rule was like, he knows what he's talking about. And they just hired him, you know, like after he was posting on message boards, according to what Blanchard said. Um, and so he's always going to, I think be indebted or have great respect for, for Matt rule and Evan Cooper for that. But that's a, that shows you like rules uh, willingness to trust his instincts on a guy who maybe he's not um, your traditional hire in a way, but, but who cares? Like he, he knows, he knows what he's doing and that's all I care about. So um, that part's really interesting. Yeah. And all of that leads up to the Ja'Cory Barney commitment, which occurred on Saturday night. He had a live stream on Instagram and leading up to this commitment the week before he had just been at Miami and all accounts were basically Miami was the heavy, heavy favorite. He had previously visited Nebraska and Texas A&M and liked those places, but it's just, you know, hometown kid, it's Miami. And yet, you know, Nebraska just behind the scenes went to work, didn't care what the, the, the public outlook was, didn't care what the crystal balls and the recruiting prediction machines and the forecasts and all of that stuff said, they just went to work. And they kept working. And I think a combination of his mother's wishes and Nebraska staff just not taking, you know, no for an answer and continuing to kind of push and offer why it felt like this is the right place for it, allowed the Huskers to come out with what is probably, Brian, the most surprising result of an otherwise, you know, crazy time period because Carter Nelson was a huge win. <clears throat> But by the time we got into the official visit, it had seemed like this was going to end up being Nebraska's. Like that that had sort of shifted. The feeling was probably 75-25 Miami, you know, going into Saturday. And then it, it, I wouldn't say that it dipped down at all. And Nebraska just – and Garrett McGuire specifically, and Evan Cooper's involved here too, and Phillip Simpson and, and all of that. But Garrett McGuire really, I think, did a great job here. And I think Nebraska's official visit and the work they did on mom really mm. carried through all the way to the finish line. And probably to, to me, looking at it, you know, right up there with the most surprising commitment in this class so far, mm. the 23. The 23 that they have on yeah. – uh, it's now July 6th. Yeah, and it sort of keeps um... – it keeps momentum going and connections with other guys in the class alive in Miami. Like, obviously we have a story on Willis McGahee that's up now and him and, you know, Ja'Cory talked in the ninth grade about, Hey, let's, we're, let's do it together. You know how those go. Sometimes guys say that it doesn't mean anything by the time you get to signing day. Um, but it, it does definitely, um, you know, 
just stoke that fire. And, and also, you know, I know guys like Corey Collier did a nice job, like, uh, as a peer recruiter when he was in town and, uh, Dwight Boodle, as you know, likes to have his hand in recruiting too. And, um, th- th- I, I'll go back to w- what I was saying earlier. The fact that you've got guys like Collier and Boodle who are willing to beat the drum so much for, um, Husker football ready as guys who haven't even played a season here, that is going to, I mean, that would mean a lot to me if I were a prospect. I'd like, okay, these guys, you know, they don't know what their playing time is like or any of this stuff yet, but they believe in what the coaches are saying. And um, they're saying that they, they tell the truth as far as what they say as recruiters matches up what they say as coaches. I'm going to trust my buddies who have been around it, and that might give you an added push to the finish line. But you're right. Um, Garrett McGuire, it felt like this was one of those, unlike a lot of them in June where it was Nebraska, <clears throat> maybe battling all week to, um, get that edge. And when it finally came announcement time that people didn't expect them to have. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a, as a player, Ja'Cory Barney's kind of <clears throat> a, a fascinating guy. I mean, I'm talking to people I know down in Miami, they, they loved his athleticism since a, an early age. He's been a guy who's played quarterback, wide receiver, running back, defensive back. He's someone in a seven-on-seven seven that's going to be effective on both sides of the ball. Uh, you know, at Nebraska, he's going to play wide receiver. Daniel Kalen already has kind of struck up a relationship with him when he came in for his official visit. And so I know I know that Daniel is pretty fired up about that addition as well. So he's, he's a little bit of a dynamic playmaker um, that could be someone that has a lot of untapped sort of potential to, to grow, too, because it's one of the things that, that I've talked about in the past, the the best thing that happens for some of these players is in high school, you sort of have to do all of these different things. When you get to college, most of the time you get put into a system where you get a focus on just one thing. And so instead of having to play defensive back and wide receiver and running back and wildcat quarterback or regular quarterback, he's going to come to Nebraska as just a receiver. And I think that sometimes helps those guys out that, you know, it's great when you're good at a multitude of things, but sometimes when you get to a place and you can just focus, you really sort of expand and grow as a player. And I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I've talked about that with different people in this class. I wouldn't be surprised if Barney fits in that category as well. So that was another big recruiting win. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to dive into the most indispensables Huskers list. We'll run through the, uh, what do you want to say? Top five? Top five sound good to you, Brian? That sounds great. All right, we're going to run through the top five of our most indispensable Huskers for 2023 when we return here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Most indispensable Huskers time. This list, which, by the way, BC wrote every single one of our 23 plus to probably the honorable mentions. So he, he basically carried this whole thing by himself. He did all the math on it. It was, it was pretty much a BC project from start to finish. All Brunson and I really had to do was send our list over, and we both missed a deadline by about 10 days on it. So uh, credit to you, Brian, for – for dragging that one to the finish line, you were Ken Clark in the rain against Oklahoma, just churning out yards when uh, when it when it looked difficult. So we we appreciate that. That's what June July content is sometimes. Not this June because we actually had actual news happening. But uh, yeah, it, I like doing it, so it's it's no problem. But uh, so we want to do the top five. Should I go yeah. through those? I can go through. Actually, I'll name ten through six, and then I'll go right to five because just let's do that. 10, 10 was Teddy Prohaska, 9 was Nordine Newley, 8 was MJ Sherman, 7 was Nash Hutmacher, who I think might have improved his stock in a thing like this by 8 to 10 spots by what he did like in the spring and just the mm-hmm. way coaches talked about him. 6 was Quinton Newsom, who some could say could be higher, and maybe I don't remember what you had him at. I had I thought I had him at 1, but I had him at 3. I don't, so. I don't know why I thought I had him at one, but I do think he's the best player on the team. So maybe Quentin? that's why I had him at one. Yeah. All right. Here's number five, um, Luke Reimer. Yep. What do you think about that? I think that's a good spot for him. I, I, do you I, – I don't know if we've had this conversation or not. He's probably as interesting as a guy to be in this 3-3-5 as anybody else in Nebraska's defense. Mm-hmm. Because I think from an athletic standpoint, he is, you know, really gifted – he is very, very fast, and people see that, you know, when they, they have the game on. And I think in a in a scheme that's built on disruption and quarterbacks not necessarily knowing where he's coming from, I could see Luke Reimer having, like, four or five sacks. And within those four or five sacks, just, like, two of them that just completely blow up a quarterback's day. Like, maybe a strip sack or, you know, like a 16-yard loss because he's just getting chased down or something like that. Like, I just – I have this vision of him in this three three five, and maybe it's because I played way too much three three five in the NCAA football realm and <laughs> video games, and I love to blitz with my linebackers. But Luke Reimer's athleticism—I feel like Tony White just looks at that as a central piece of what they could do on defense. And so, for me, the big question with Luke Reimer isn't how productive he can be; it's can he stay healthy for twelve games across yeah. thirteen weeks. If they can keep Luke Reimer healthy, and I'm looking specifically at that stretch that starts after the final non-conference game with Michigan and Illinois, and you get a bye week in there, you need him for that October-November stretch. So if you can get him through those first handful of games and he's good to go, then I'm going to feel a lot better about everything. I have no doubt about his productivity. It's just been hard for him to stay on the field at times. Yeah, and he has had some Saturdays where he's been amazing. I mean, he, uh, he's had 16 tackle days. He had the game a couple of years back against Buffalo where he had just a bunch yeah. of tackles and he had a great interception. He should have been a touchdown. They marked him out at the one. Um, the one thing he doesn't have on his resume, and maybe this comes in this scheme is he actually doesn't have a lot of like sacks and TFLs yeah. and some of that stuff you'd expect maybe from him. Um, I think it's like one or two each of the past two years. I can't remember the exact number. And um, I kind of thought that would be higher, especially if people remember when he burst on the scene, it was that game against Northwestern 
I think during the COVID year, um, when he had like one and a half sacks, had a fun, well, the type of play you're talking about. The 2020 Northwestern game, right? Yeah, where he blew he up was, a QB, almost got the fumble he was himself. incredible. Yeah. yeah. He's all over the place. He can have days like that. Now, where it's interesting at his position, and it makes it hard to project how high he should be on a list like this, this staff has really talked up John Bullock, enough oh, yeah. so that people better not be sleeping on that and what his role could be on this defense. I mean, Matt Rule said John Bullock, I think, can play at the next level. It's not just about him like maybe starting or playing some snaps. John Bullock's going to be part of this. Um, Nick Henrich is coming back from that tough injury. So where, what's his status, you wonder? There's Chief Borders who's in the mix. There's, uh, you know, obviously they're kind of different positions, but MJ Sherman and Jamari Butler are listed as linebackers. They're more of your Jack guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole collection of guys and how the pieces exactly fit together, there is some mystery to it, I think. Even for guys who, in most years, you just like put Reimer and Penn, like he has this, you know, it, this many tackles over the past two years, of course, he's going to be the dude. I think he probably will be, but it'll be interesting in camp that he may, he uh, solidifies that. Absolutely. Number four is Ty Robinson. Who's uh, always like in the top five on this list, like for the last three years or so. And um, I'll let you go with run with what, what, what do you think about Ty Robinson? What's got to be next for him to, I, I guess, kind of meet the expectations people have kind of built up for him over the years. Yeah. I think I'd like to see a little bit more productivity and just in terms of your, your traditional stats. I mean, there's not a lot of TFLs and sacks and disruptive plays. I mean, he's, he's been, I think pretty durable um, in, in his time there. I mean, last year, I remember him talking in the spring about how you're basically taking every rep because there's no other defensive lineman. Uh, But I think he played almost every game last year, right? Like he, I don't recall Mm -hmm. him being out uh, with injury. And so, um, hopefully there's a jump to his game. Um, I think he's he's been a good baseline player, but I wouldn't say that he's been disruptive or, you know, even what you would call like a great player at this point. So I, I would need to see a jump for him. I understand some of this list is just simply who would be a crushing injury for your depth status, but I, I just don't know that we've seen the, the best of Ty Robinson yet. And so I think I would like to see if he can put that all together and, and if he can be sort of a disruptive player. And there's nothing wrong with, with just great baseline competence either. But he still needs to kind of to, to, to compile a few things before he's really even kind of in the Ben Stilley category of what we've seen from, from a, a down defensive lineman in a three-man front. Yeah, I think that's fair. And you know what backs that up is last year he had a great game against, I think it was Indiana, and – Matt Millen happened to be doing it for BTN. And he, I remember him talking to like Bill Bush and the coaches over there. And he's like, this Ty Robinson guy, like there's something there, but there can be more. Right. And um, there, it was sort of spoken to Ty Robinson. Like, this is what guys who have like played in the league, like think of you and stuff. And um, I think that he, he understood what they were saying and kind of took the notes and had a really good game probably one of the best games he's had as a Husker. So if he can have those type of Saturdays more consistently, I think that's what you're talking about because that was one game I remember in particular where it's like, yes, that's what Ty Robinson can be. And uh, if we could just see that all the time, it would be really something for him and this defense. No doubt Uh, about it. Number three. And now this is where the last three on our list, they've never played it down as a Husker. Um, Wild. 
but it's easy to see why they're top three. I think Billy Kemp is third. He's just a high volume guy from his resume at Virginia. I mean, he always caught a ton of passes. Uh, he could be the punt returner. It seems like that he might be. Um, and just the way that rule and the coaching staff talked about him in the spring, you could tell, like, there's no doubt he's, you know, going to be right up there with the number ones and, and probably one of the security blankets, not because of his stature. He's a, he's a small guy, but he, uh, has an ability to get open and quarterbacks trust that. And even in the spring game, we saw it briefly. The first couple catches were Jeff or were to Billy Kemp for about 40 yards. So, um, I think he's an easy number three on this list for me, or at least about around there. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think I had him. Uh, I'm pretty sure I had him in my top five, and uh, the reason for that being, I think that he's your most experienced wide receiver. He hasn't played here yet, but he's someone like you said that they can get the ball and and maybe a high volume type situation. If you can attack down the field, you let him go to work. One of the things about Billy Kemp, I think he can make some people miss too. I think we saw that in the spring game a little bit, and so I. I am uh, I'm on board with Billy Kemp as, as most likely to be Nebraska's most productive receiver for the 2023 season. I think he'll he'll certainly cash in on on his veteran ability, and and I think that Jeff Sims is going to rely on him at times, maybe early on, to, to kind of help move the chains. I, I think third down, he seems like he could sort of be a guy that we look for Sims to sort of connect to in those sorts of situations. We only had two receivers in our twenty-three list of 23. Marcus Washington was the other. And um, I think that's fair, too, until it's proven, you know, yeah. there, there's hope about Xavier Betts, but you just got to see it now. Isaiah yeah. Garcia Castaneda the same way. Ideally, a year from now, like their guys were like, you can't live without him, you know, like a Xavier yeah. Betts. He's like top 10. I, so that that's the hope. The – the off-season buzz of Xavier Betts is really high, yep. and I, I want to believe in it, but I cannot cannot believe in it until it's consistent and it's we're seeing it, you know, throughout a game and not just gadget plays. I mean, it, there's there's no one. I, I, maybe you believe this, maybe you don't, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn here. I don't think there's anyone in the wide receivers room that has the potential of Xavier Betts. But there's a lot of guys that are willing or have outworked them or have put themselves in better spots throughout their careers. Uh, and so I think if he's able to cash in on some of that potential, he could be a really big player in a hurry for Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds like things have went very, very well there. But still, you know, it's just we're we're very much in a you got to see it mode with, with those two guys. Same thing with Garcia Castaneda. I think it was a big, yeah. he had a good spring. There were a lot of nice things said about him that I didn't think were, you know, just said to say it. So um, if both those guys are just solid or better, <clears throat> that changes the whole outlook of the room. Well, it gives you a really nice top four right there. Yeah. You think about it, you have <laughs> Billy Kemp in the slot, and then you have three, you know, potential outside wide receivers to kind of rotate <clears throat> through there. And Fleeks, you know, yeah, Fleeks, we'll see what he does, brings to the table. But he, if nothing else, you know, we've said it before, Fleeks is like your Trey Neal guy who nope. I think knows this thing inside and out and can be a good mentor to people. Who did not go to dentist school in Lincoln, by the way. No, one of our, yeah. One of our listeners <laughs> let us know that. All right, number two, uh, this one's easy for me too. It's Ben Scott. Like, I, I think the if this whole line is really going to take a jump, a big part of it's going to be because they have that center spot figured out. Um, they have a guy who can be durable. 
He has been in the past two years at Arizona State. He's played tackle. He's played center. He feels like center can be a strong suit. Um, I know people in our network who covered him in Tempe think center is the best spot for him, no matter what the PFF numbers say. Um, so um, I think if you thought about what would happen if he were injured too, it kind of throws everything in disarray, you know, where you, you'd have to maybe move like Piper or a Corcoran or somebody to center or play a really young guy like a Justin Evans Jenkins or, you know, Sam Sledge at some point could be that guy. Um, but ideally you have Ben Scott for two more years and owning that middle part of your offensive line. And he's just, uh, consistent and everything kind of works well around him. Yeah. I, I regard Ben Scott as, as a huge pickup. I mean, I think it's right there. The one B to, to Jeff Sims one a in terms of what Nebraska picked up in the transfer portal to get a veteran offensive lineman that can provide a steady presence, especially at that center spot is huge. Um, and I, I think that, you know, Nebraska is going to benefit up front from the return of, of Nori Nuili, who I think number nine on the list, you know, hopefully the, re yep. the return of, of Teddy Prohaska and he's able to, to give you a full season and they're going to benefit from having a veteran like Ben Scott. And I think they already have, I think that he seamlessly fit in with the group of offensive linemen over there. I mean, I know I've talked to a countless number of offensive line recruits that have talked about how just, close those guys all seem and how it seems really genuine um i this is a dangerous thing to say but here on july 6 i feel like the offensive line is in a good headspace at least going into the into the season and there's some confidence there that they can they can turn this thing around i mean i'm i feel good about a guy like bryce benhart he had a great spring i mean he he physically changed you know kind of how he looked and I thought he had a good spring. You talk with the coaches and you hear some whispers over there. They're happy with him. And I think Ben Scott, you know, is, is definitely a part of that. And having that right in the middle of your offensive line is always a big thing. I'm interested who the sixth guy is. Like, uh, there's Who's sort the sixth of, man. Yeah, the, there's six and then separation. But I'm interested who, like, actually isn't out there right off the bat. And I, I, I'm not trying to be the negative Nelly here. I mean that in a good way. But I think Ethan Piper is a veteran that some are sleeping on. Like I, I feel like people sort of pencil in like Corcoran here and, you know, we'll see. They love Piper. I think this staff, either I Piper, you were, I think around him um, at the start of spring when he did his media session. And uh, you talk about an example of someone who's just fired up about this. Oh, yeah. Like what's going on and what yeah. he can be in it, and he, I think, gained confidence. Even though the O line as a whole didn't play that well last year, um, I think individually he thought he made some steps that he can carry forward. And so I don't know, Piper. They had Nuri at right guard and Piper at left guard and Corcoran at left tackle. But if Prohaska's left tackle, where do you put Corcoran? It'll be interesting, sort of, how they work that out. Yeah, that's going to be one of those big things. What happens with Turner Corcoran and? And kind of what what they choose to do there, and then don't forget Henry Litovsky is yep. probably knocking on the door too. So if you do have some injuries or some nagging things going on, they they have some depth. They just don't maybe have that third tackle that you would you would love uh, in that situation. And and I don't think they want to move Ben Scott out of center once he's kind of solidified that spot because he did, as you said, play right tackle. All right, take us to number one. No big right. surprise here. Yeah, number one, Jeff Sims, and. Um... Quarterback is often number one on this list. 
Um, I think, though, especially in this case, even though we haven't seen Sims in a Nebraska uniform, he does have a lot of experience at the college level. We've heard all about the traits that the staff believes in as far as, you know, his arm talent and just uh, also his football smarts and how he can pick things up. And then I think there is uncertainty behind him. You know, you'd have to, if we're just being real here, there's Heinrich Harburg had a very good spring. I don't care what anybody says about the spring game. He, mm-hmm. he, I mean, the day one, a lot of us on the outside are like, is he going to stay at QB? Yeah. And then a, a week in, you realize like, oh, maybe he's the backup, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I mean, that, that conversation shifted very quickly. So that's what you would call taking advantage of, of your practices to put yourself in that spot. Chubba Purdy, I know everybody thinks the book is kind of written on him and what he can do. Um, he did have a good last week, week and a half of spring ball, according to the coaching staff, and they're kind of curious to see how he can take off of that. But there does feel like a gap, especially when you watch that spring scrimmage between just how everything looked when Jeff Sims was out there and then when he wasn't. So, of course, he's number one. And, um, you know, he's going to have to take care of the football, going to have to bring up his uh, completion percentage a bit. Uh, But uh, what's interesting, Schaefer, is the last time we had access over there when spring was ending, Casey Thompson was still technically in the program. And I think some of us thought he might be leaving, but he hadn't left yet. And I think to the general public, it was still very much like people weren't ready to have that conversation or be like, Jeff Sims is one of the top Mm -hmm. five most recognizable names in the state and all this. Like that wasn't settled yet. And so when we go back there and meet with those guys, like, you know, in a month, a few weeks, um, it's a different scenario now um, as, as he is truly the guy um, than even the last time he did an interview. So that'll be kind of an interesting dynamic. You know, we've talked about this. I go back to that quote that Matt Rule had about Jeff Sims, you know, during signing day when he, he talked about how NFL personnel guys are already sort of drooling about his traits and everything. This is a guy that for three seasons largely probably underachieved at Georgia Tech and wasn't in the best of situations. He could be someone that with a fresh start, I mean, we have him at number one on this list because Nebraska doesn't have a great depth chart situation and we don't know what the offense is going to look like. And he has some name value. There was people that thought he was going to be a star coming out of high school. So there is a there is a track here where Nebraska ends up with a quarterback that could be a pretty special player. And I think the people over there think that he has that ability, too. It might take him some time uh, to adjust to a different league, to adjust to you know, different coaches, but I would caution anyone, you know, like, let's see what this looks like in November, because if, if he, it's a little slow at the beginning, I don't think that's unfair uh, for that to be an expectation because it, I just want to see how this thing builds up over time. And he's sort of like Luke Reimer to, to bring this all full circle. The biggest thing sometimes with Jeff Sims is they got to make sure he can stay healthy. He's yet to play 12 games in a full season. Um, you know, they've talked a lot about the quarterback run game. I'm somewhat dubious about that because I just don't know if you can really commit to running your quarterback a bunch if you can't stay healthy. But uh, I, I am very interested in what Jeff Sims looks like, probably as much as anything, you know, with that opening kick at Minnesota here in, what, seven weeks? We, mm-hmm. Seven seven weeks, eight weeks, something like that? It is something like that. It, the play that... um I think of from the spring game um, 
that excited me was when he spun out. There's someone coming free. I think it was Cam Lenhart. And when Sims made that spin move and he just took off and got seven yards, if he can be that type of guy on third and fives um, who can keep it going, that that's, that's going to be the biggest deal of all. I, I, I think he doesn't have to be a guy who on third and four, you're like, this is a design run play for Jeff Sims. But if he is that player who um, on those – plays in the second quarter can keep a drive going and change field position by that one bit of elusiveness that that's going to be a huge deal for this team in these close games. I recall asking Cam after that game, if he thought he had him, and he's like, yeah, I, I'm still not sure how I didn't. So yeah. <laughs> he was, Linhart definitely thought he was going to have a big, uh, big collegiate moment there in his first spring game and just kind of got left in the dust a little bit. We'll have to go next pot or next week sometime. We'll have to go freshman heavy because uh, Len Hart and Prince Well did an interview last week with the the radio network, and he's gained twenty pounds and he wants to be two fifty five. And it, I'm man, uh, we're we're just gonna see more from those players than we've seen from first year freshmen uh, at those particular positions in the past, and we got to get used to that. And I'm excited, you know, we don't have as much access in the summer, but there are some freshmen that arrived, you know, in in late May and early June that I would not write off with the, like, there's going to be some guys that are going to force the, the four-game redshirt thing mm-hmm. to, to have to make some tough decisions. I This is, you know, there's a lot of newness and freshness with this team, and that's to be expected with a, a regime change. But there's a lot of things that I'm still very curious about uh, and I, I'm really looking forward. And I, this is words I don't say very often. I'm really sort of looking forward to things getting started here in August to, to see what we can kind of suss out because there's just there's so many different parts. Like it just it almost yeah. feels like we're covering a whole new team, Brian. Oh, yeah. I I can't wait for this season. I yeah. really I mean, and we try to honestly, it's it's a job to get try to get excited about every team and like, OK, what could this be and that be? Um, but there was, there was some staleness that set in, it felt like in, in certain eras by year three or four, where we're just like, no, nah, I don't, I don't see this changing yep. dramatically. And, um, there's just a new way of doing things. And, uh, that like you say, just like how Tony White's defense actually looks in certain aspects, I don't know for sure. And that's really interesting and how certain guys fit within that. And just, I think their willingness to play young guys and um maybe they'll take some lumps but that's okay you're growing from it um and then the fact that you've got kind of an awesome schedule to start i think like you're playing a big 10 game on a thursday night on off the bat going to colorado in a game that'll get a lot of national attention this is just a a a pretty cool setup so um it's not false enthusiasm from my end to talk about this team right now i think it's it's really interesting I'm right there with you. I mean, I just, it's Nebraska football is just full of new car smell. Like that's what, Mm -hmm. that's what this all feels like right now. All right. Well, that's Brian Christopherson. Appreciate your time as always. I I got all sorts of time. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess I'm the one that doesn't have enough time then. So I'm, I'm calling it on this, but uh, we appreciate you listening to us here at Husker 24 seven. Be sure to check out Husker 247com We're still going to have plenty of coverage. I'm still writing up. There's there's targets still out there. They're, they're not done recruiting. There's there's a good chance that they're not even done uh, with taking commitments of this summer. Uh, we could see a few more here, and we'll have the goods on that at Husker 24/7, as well as everything else. It's watch list season. I guarantee you, we're going to have all of those up as they happen. 
and uh, plenty more <laughs> as we work through the uh, the summer here. So for Brian Christopherson, I'm Mike Schaefer. We're Husker 24-7. We'll catch you next time with another Husker 24-7 podcast. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.